Okay, here we go. This story is called How We Stopped a Salvation Army Band at Christmas 1964. It was about 5pm on the Saturday before Christmas in the centre of Boston, UK. The football team from the first Boston Sea Scout Cubs managed to stop the local Salvation Army band who'd been happily playing Christmas music outside the White Hart Hotel. On with the story. I had almost forgotten this story until reminded of the incident while writing the Sea Scout bus story. This story is from several years previously, in fact before Ruth and I were even married, so it puts it at around 1964. We were both leaders of the first Boston Sea Scout Cubs at this time. Cubs are a stage younger than Scouts, for those that don't realise that. I forgot who was actual leader or our Kayla, and we'd swap places at some stage as Ruth continued her post uh, state registered nurse training and became a trainee midwife at Queen Charlotte's Hospital in London. The origin of this tale is Cub football, Cub Scout football matches in the Boston and District League. Their reason for our Cubs to be constantly losing their football matches was that they were Sea Cubs and they were sticking to that. The boys were enthusiastic enough and had a good trainer in Mr Worthington, one of the Scout parents. Perhaps they lacked the aggression or capacity to attack that the opposition seemed to constantly possess. I suppose a good illustration of typical opposition was the 4th Boston Curtain Cubs. Their long-established male leader regarded defeat of a football match as a personal failure. Fanatical would best describe his attitude, and naturally, being typical cub-age boys, they picked up this characteristic enthusiastically. The fourth Boston Cubs never lost a match. Some of the lady leaders in the district were equally forthright and pushed their teams forward at every opportunity. On reflection, I was probably at fault here, as I have never been really enthusiastic about football. But the district cub leaders in general had formed a football league for the different units to compete in, and the boys had to be given a chance to enjoy everything available to them. The week before this memorable day, our team had been playing Wibberton. Not one of the top teams in the league, but nevertheless we lost 14-0. to zero plus a pair of Wellingtons. The Wellingtons were not part of the team, it's just that a pair were lost and never recovered from the venue. We were now into December, and Christmas festivities well underway. We met our boys by arrangement at a spot in the town's South Street called Doughty Quay, opposite the old Custom House. Much of old Boston is difficult for younger readers to comprehend, as in the late 1960s the local council decided to destroy the centre of the town and its classic architectural heritage by driving an internal bypass road through its heart. 
now we, we we diverse a bit here and we've got bypassed by way of a comment. Who in their wisdom has ever heard of an internal bypass? Now, in the 21st century, Bostonians can see just how stupid and ineffectual the 1960s decision has been. The town is still just as desperate for a normal bypass as it always has been. Since the 1960s, in fact, when the A16 traffic was constantly forcing its way through the bottlenecks in the centre of the town. It is just that the inner bypass made the bottlenecks larger, and now with much larger vehicles and incredible volume, huge queues form in all directions, in and out of the town, for most parts of the day. So, in effect... The council's original decision and ideas of a proper bypass taking traffic and they thought trade away from the town has resulted in anyone with a glimmer of common sense avoiding Boston like a plague. The town is steadily dying. Back to the 1960s. Now, down on Custom House Quay, the boys were arriving in small groups from different parts of the town complete with football boots and duffel bags. But only boys. There was no sign of parents or any other supporters with vehicles. Seabell regulations and their like had not even been contemplated at this period of the, of the development of motor transport. I was working at the Standard and still living at home. I had an arrangement with my parents that I shared the second car. I paid part of its running costs and did all the servicing. The car of the moment was a bright red Renault Dauphine, because father had a passion for the mark and a very good friend in Pete Taylor, the local Renault dealer. These remarkable little four-door cars had independent suspension, no cart springs, and the engine was in the rear. This left the whole of the internal floor area totally flat, with no transmission tunnels and no exhaust pipe running front to back. Their main selling point was their economy. Quite capable of 50 mpg, I could make my £1 fuel allocation from my £4 10 shillings weekly wages last the whole week. Remember, in 1964, jet petrol was five gallons for a pound. Yes, five gallons for a pound. Time was marching on, and we had decided we had to decide how to transport the team to Freeston, about five miles out of the town. First of all, the kit, boots and duffel bags went into the boot at the front. Then we began layering the boys in the back seat, some on the floor, some sprawled with others on top. We had a blanket, a carryover from driving older, colder cars. And this came in useful later to cover our load as we passed a row of police houses down Eastwood Road. The boys were not all in yet, though, and there was Ruth and myself, the driver. I think we had two in the front with us, and there must have been nine or ten in the rear. They were in and out so much, trying to find the most comfortable formula. Cubs f come in all shapes and sizes. It's difficult to remember exactly how many we carried. 
I vividly do remember having to send some support to Cubs home, though, as at one stage we closed the doors to see how we could manage, only to find the wheels would not go round. The suspension was nice and soft, so soft that the whole car body squashed down onto the wheels at the rear. I think we had to take two or three boys out before we could actually set off. Needless to say, the team lost this match as well. Well mudded, but happy at actually being able to go and play, the boys were content. The return journey home was uneventful until we parked the car in front of the Midland Bank and White Hart Hotel on the town bridge. Most of the boys lived in the western side of the town and this gave them access to their routes without going over major roads. It must have been close to 5pm. The Salvation Army Band were playing Christmas carols for the Saturday shoppers until we stole the scene. First of all, a complete noisy football team of muddy boys poured from within a very small family saloon car. Next, they collected all their boots and bags from the front, where the engine normally resides. Remember, Renault Dauphine cars were still fairly rare. The bandmaster lost all control of his players as they stared in amazement. The music slowly drowned to a halt as the bandsmen and their previously enthralled audience gawped in amazement. Turn the page. Ah, not much to go now. We made a swift exit before too many awkward questions were asked. There we are. End of a little story brought to you by Cracker Books, written and read by Keith Sanders. Now we have a new ending to the stories. Uh, there's no shop anymore. All our products, that is the complete books, videos, audio stories, are all available to access on the internet free of charge. And you can find the links to all of these through our new website, which is www.itsarumlife.com. That's spelt I-T-S-A-R-U-M-L-I-F-E dot com. No gaps. There we are. I hope you enjoyed listening to the story and do have a good look at the website where you can see all kinds of other things to enjoy as well.